With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, welcome back to the Misfit Nation. If you're feeling overwhelmed or floating towards the darkness, do not hesitate to phone a friend. If you're embarrassed that you're having a difficult time, Call the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and take option one. That's 1-800-273-8255, option one. Again, we have told you many times over the last year, do not make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you've not had the chance, check out our first book, 13-Step Guide to Success. It is available in paperback and Kindle editions through Amazon. If you're new, thanks for joining us. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. So you'll stay up to date on all of our episodes and as they release, while also having the opportunity to get and hear the stories of our amazing guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is the founder of the Toronto-based street food brand, Fidel Gastros, which within four years went from an underground sandwich pop-up to an internationally recognized food brand. Now, almost a decade later, he has a still growing business of food experiences restaurant consulting, and food content creation. He always strives to be different in an industry steeped in tradition. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Matt Basile. How are you, Matt? Good, buddy. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, great uh, great Monday here. Uh, hopefully the weather's treating you right where you are. It was beautiful yesterday. Uh, I'm in Toronto. So okay. um, it was like, uh, and by beautiful, I mean it was uh, 12 degrees Celsius um but today it's snowing again so we're in that point of, <laughs> we're in that point of our, our seasonality where it can be really nice one day and then legit winter the next day so you just take it with strides you take what you're given each day and smile and wave that's all you can do yeah exactly you know like i said it was beautiful yesterday so it's like it's funny because when the weather is so nice um here and we've had a one of the worst winters probably in my lifetime um so there was just people out everywhere um and uh, you know i live in an area that has a lot of dogs <laughs> and uh yeah, dogs dogs walk and everyone everyone's in a good mood and today it's exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> everyone's gloomy today yesterday they were happy. Yeah, dogs don't yeah. want to be outside now <laughs> no exactly exactly awesome so matt if you don't mind uh just please uh let the audience know a little bit about yourself from as far back as you want to go to how you got to uh, the food industry to where we are now. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to slice that. I, uh, I'm an entrepreneur uh, in the food business. I've been doing this for uh, about 11 years now. 
um, I was pretty young when I started. So I was about 26 or 27 when I decided that I was going to start my own company. And really, it came from two things. Um, I was only really, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I wanted to be self-employed. Um, and I kind of given myself a, uh, a timeline. Like by the time I was 30, I had said I wanted to be self-employed. And then the only thing I really knew how to do uh, was cook. So, <laughs> and then, I mean, obviously there's a little more of that. So prior to that, I was working in ad agencies. I was a, a copywriter. Uh, so I was working in an environment that was, you know, highly creative, um, very, very focused on brainstorming and, and coming up with solutions in a creative way. But um, I don't know what it was. I had a very hard time um, connecting with my job every day. Like, and, and I actually just the other day articulated a couple of weeks ago to my, to my better half's uh, cousin, I was saying that I, I wanted a job or I wanted a role in my career where I didn't wake up as one person, go to work as a different person and come back home and be another person. Like I wanted there to be a constant integration of my character throughout my day. Like I didn't want to have to change. I didn't want to have to, and it was less so when I was working in ad agencies and more so uh, when I was like 26, I was working client side now, which wasn't as creative. I was wearing a, you know, dress pants every day. And I'm like, I'm not used to wearing dress pants. There's little <laughs> things like that. Like, I remember just taking the, the elevator up to the 32nd floor. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this isn't really, and you know, n nothing against the people or the place. It just wasn't like for me. So every night I would go home and I was starting to brainstorm what my little project would be. And that was uh, this food company called Fidel Gastros. That's where it all kind of started. Originally, the idea was to start it as a uh, brick and mortar sandwich shop, right? It was, and I used the, the Cuban sandwich because uh, pulled pork was popular at the time, but the Cuban sandwich was kind of uh, a new take on that. So I put together an entire business plan on this idea um, surrounded by Cuban sandwiches and Cuban styled sandwiches you know, the flat top press, uh, the slow, low and slow cooked meats and done in a variety of different flavors and different proteins. Um, and then, you know, I'd spent a year kind of developing the business plan. So everything from the branding for it and the recipes for it, and my sales platform and my strategies there. And I even had, you know, real estate picked out and it, it was thorough. It was a full business plan. I was very proud of it. It was about 45 pages long. And uh, I remember I got myself a a meeting at the bank very excited about that i was in there maybe five minutes and i i got rejected um because, well because i you know i had no experience right. uh i had zero experience other than working butcher shops uh as a kid growing up or the breakfast shift in university i had no restaurant experience at all um and i also had no equity or money so it was pretty easy like when you're in a financial institution where you're just making decisions based on yes or no and categorically it's like, well, I, I didn't check any of the boxes for them. So it was like a, it was a no, it was a, and that, that was a huge eye opener for me because I was like, you know, in advertising specifically on the creative side, sometimes you're, you're used to um, having a really good idea that never sees the light of day and, and for whatever reason. And this kind of felt like that, you know, um, but then two weeks later, I had already put the idea aside I figured this was kind of, you know, not going to be on my, uh, 
my future. Uh, and I was, I was at a party, um, you know, in the, the beaches area of Toronto, which is a very cool part of the city. Uh, it's right by the water. Um, all the houses have been built perfectly for home entertaining. So for having parties at them. So I'm at this house and it was, uh, it was hosted by a few friends of mine in the, in the music industry here. So they had a DJ booth at the party and they had a bar at the party and then people doing, you know, like rap battles and break dancing. Like it was quite a lively little, little get together. Um, and then they were going to order food. And then instead of doing that, um, they were like, Hey Matt, what if we just pay you to make some food for us if you want, and you can go through our fridge and do whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I'm, I'm down. This is what I do. And next thing you know, like a couple of people were watching me do it. Uh, and then, you know, five people were watching me cook and then 10 people were watching me cook. And next thing you know, the energy that we brought to the kitchen became an extension of the party. And that's when I thought that that was probably where the business could take me with very little uh, capital. Um, and it was, it was purely based on an idea and a hunch. Little did I know um, that I could, uh, you know, where we would go from there. Uh, and I was very much fortunate that I was able to take that evening you know, use that, apply that to the existing business plan I had. I reconfigured it to be more of an expert, experientially based food concept. So not dependent on a sign or a door, but more on a vibe and an energy. Um, and that's exactly what I did. You know, about a month after that, I launched my first event and there was a few hundred people there. And from there, it was food trucks and TV shows and cookbooks and restaurants. And it's uh, 11 years later, or almost 11 years later, you know, it kind of, it's hard to even remember everything we've, we've done and accomplished. Um, but it's been a, a journey of both um, a lot of, you know, I always tell people when you're an entrepreneur, and especially in the food business, it's such an, you know, it, it, it is an all-consuming industry. Uh, your highs are super high, but your lows can be super low as well, because there's, it takes a lot out of you, and it takes a lot to make something out of literally nothing oh definitely and uh that's an, i mean it's an awesome journey that you've been on uh, not having a i guess a a school taught chef background like most people would think you'd have to have to get into the cooking the industry to be a chef or to be a food service kind of guy it kind of makes me think of the movie chef when he opens up the the, the food <laughs> truck but he actually had school training doing the yeah. sandwiches and such and that was about the same time, I think, 10 years ago when this came, when this, that came out, you, you were already doing it. So that, that's pretty awesome. It's funny you mentioned that movie specifically. I was actually the Toronto ambassador for the movie uh, really? when it came out. <laughs> and so I was doing a bunch of promotional stuff uh, for the movie when it came out. And I remember when I went to go see the sneak preview, you know, I'm bawling my eyes out because it was like my life had been captured in a two and a half hour snapshot. Uh, and I actually got, other than there were specific things uh, that were uh, huge fabrications, but uh, for the most part, they actually did a really good job capturing the effort and the, the energy suck that it takes to launch something um, that's so, so nitty gritty and hands-on. Yeah, the, was, as you were talking, I was just thinking about that movie and eating a Cuban sandwich at the same time. So whole right? thing, yeah. whole things are amazing. And uh, I was reading your bio earlier and I seen that you had uh, Italian grandparents. Did they have any influence in your cooking styles or was that just off the cuff? Let's go cook. So they, they taught me a couple things. Um, they taught me my, my work ethic, first and foremost. You know, they um, they were 
you know, born and raised in Italy, um, had moved to Canada uh, when they were already adults. <laughs> and I was, you know, so lucky that, you know, both of my parents worked full-time jobs. So they essentially would take care of me around the hours of school, et cetera. And uh, I really did learn my value system from them. And there was, that's something, that's an education that I'll, I'll never um, I'll never lose that. That's ingrained in my DNA forever. You know, that's, uh, I think, uh, you know, my grandfather, uh, for better or worse, always taught me that, um, you know, your, your work ethic is really something that no one can take away from you. It doesn't matter if you're right all the time or wrong all the time, or, you know, maybe the job isn't perfect, but if you prove to people that you, you want to be there because you've, you've, you know, you've put that effort in, that will stand for something. So that's something they definitely taught me. They also taught me the value of, uh, of appreciating things uh, made from scratch. So whether or not the actual recipes came from them, and some did, some didn't, some things, not all, my, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself uh, an Italian chef at all, as far as like my style of cuisine. I, I really do pull from the, my experiences in travel and my you know, my flavor, the flavors that I really love. I love to cook over live fire. I love brunch. I love Italian food, but I also love Southeast Asian food. And I love Latin American food. And I find a way to kind of Canadianize that, Americanize that in certain kind of palates. But really what, what it came down to with them was you know, quality ingredients, um, making sure that the flavor of your food can shine through everything you're doing. Even if it's, you know, quote unquote, from my standpoint, gimmicky, it's got to taste good too. Um, and that's, that's something that I, I learned from them, you know, for my, for both my Italian grandparents, being able to feed somebody um, was a currency. So, right. you know, you weren't really necessarily measured by sure. Success is having money in the bank, of course, but it was also your ability to provide uh, for your family in a variety of ways. Right. And I think anyone that came, you know, post-war era, like that was a huge deal, right? Like being able to put food on the table for your family every single day. And I take such pride and joy out of, you know, feeding people, whether it's feeding friends and family for at a get together, whether it's doing, you know, charitable initiatives through food, because there is an abundance of charitable, charitable initiatives that require, you know, providing food for services. And then also just selling food to people. And I'm not just, I don't take you know, I've sold thousands of sandwiches, thousands. And I still have a, a great connection with a lot of people that have purchased a sandwich off of me. It's never lost on me. Um, if someone has taken the time, like the two biggest meals I've always kind of wrapped my head around was, and this was specifically when I had my, my restaurant um, here in downtown Toronto. But I always remembered doing New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So we would do a big New Year's Eve dinner party uh, with like a DJ and stuff. And then I would always do a big New Year's Day brunch uh, the next day. And there was always such a big thing for me that, wow, you chose me to be your last meal of the year. You know, that's, this is the way you wanted to end your year in food was through a meal that I cooked for you. And then the other one was, wow, you wanted to start your year <laughs> off with, with my meal. Like that's such an honor. I'm so honored to have and privileged to have that title. So those were two things that were never lost on me. It was that uh, opportunity to, to feed people. And that's definitely something that uh, my grandparents also came from Italy, but pre-war. And uh, so they went through like the depression and such like that. But they always taught us that through food, family grows. So every Sunday was the whole family 
over makeshift tables because they're every, they didn't have huge tables back then. It was like this table, that table all put together. And we all, the kids, you know, we sat where we could in the corner, but you had yeah. everything that was put out. And my grandmother, she would, she would have food going from the moment we walked in till the, we left and you can barely move when you left, but everyone totally. was happy. It was amazing. And that Sunday meal is, um, it is culturally ingrained in not just, you know, Italians, but a lot of European families and, and just families from, you know, different cultures from around the world. You know, it was, um, it's, it's funny because I actually remember vividly um, when I was in grade school. So I would have been about maybe 10 or 11. Um, and my, I was lucky that my grandparents, their house was just blocks away from the school that I went to. So I was, um, you know, so lucky that I didn't have to eat lunch at school. I got to go to my grandparents' house every day for lunch. Nice. And it would be like, it would be penne and fettuccine with, you know, red sauce and vinegar peppers and veal cutlets and salad. Like it was a, it was a multi-course thing. This is lunch. <laughs> okay. This is, well, I had to then go back to school and, and, and not fall asleep. But, but I remember one day the kid across the street from me was, he must've been a, a fourth generation Canadian boy. Okay. He was like, his mom asked me, Hey Matt, you know, why don't you come over to our house for lunch today? And we'll, we'll have lunch. And then you can swim in the pool after because it was like warm. It was like June. I was like, Oh wow. Like you can finish eating in 20 minutes and, and, and enjoy the pool before you go. Like, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around it. So I, I'll never forget the meal. It was, um, it was grilled cheese sandwich on white bread with processed cheese, canned tomato soup, and a glass of milk. And I was like, what is this? Like your tomato sauce tastes funny. Like it just, I had a, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it, but the meal was second, like not even secondary, tertiary. You, you hurry up and eat so you can jump in the pool and spend as much time in the pool. I'll never forget the next day, I went back to my nono and nona's house for lunch. Yeah. And they were asking me, uh, how was lunch at Kevin's? And I, and I said what we ate and they gave me this look, like, what is that? <laughs> and, and then I'll never forget, I, I was saying, I go, you know, no, no, uh, they have a swimming pool there. Your backyard's even bigger. You could put an even bigger swimming pool back there. And he was like, and get rid of my garden. <laughs> he was like, you know how much that swimming pool costs them every year? He's like, you know how much money I save with this garden every year? And like, when you're 10 years old, you're, you have no idea what any of that means. Right. And it's just it's years later as an adult, you're like, no, 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 was right. They were right. <laughs> they, they were on to something, the fig tree, yeah. the tomato plants, the basil, everything in the backyard, it was amazing everything my, my grandfather even had wine grapes i'll never forget that he would, he would have to sit out there sometimes with a shovel to protect it from the birds you know and, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I, this is how i knew spring summer were coming because you could actually go to the grape eat the flesh out of the skin and then drink the juice in the skin and then eat this like it was like a three-step process you didn't just put the grape in your mouth you ate the flesh drank the juice, ate the skin, uh, and, and, and continued on. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> and that's the good life though, right there. And that gave you your, your foundry for everything you're doing now, I believe. Uh, I've also seen that you're, the names of your food truck were Priscilla 1, Priscilla 2, and then your brick and mortar was Lisa Marie. Is that homage to Elvis? 
It is, but accidentally. So, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, so my my very first event I ever did, um, I, I was setting up my table and I was selling just sandwiches off of the table. So the table was really my kitchen, and the table looked a little empty. So I went to a little knickknack store and I was like, "What can I get? What little tchotchke can I get to fill my table up?" And they had an Elvis bust there. So uh, I'm like, okay, you know what? This is cool. I'm going to buy the Elvis bus. So I bought the Elvis bus, put it on the table. Let me tell you something. That was the talk of the night was this Elvis bus. Like people were taking selfies with that. Like, and this is like still like maybe first generation iPhone era. Like, you know what I mean? So people were like, selfies were still a little grainy. A lot of Blackberries out there still floating around. But um, the, so the next event uh, that I, I kind of advertised, people were messaging me being like, you're bringing the Elvis bus, right? You're, I was like, I guess I, I guess I am. For whatever reason, the, the Elvis motif continued because when I bought my food truck, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fidel Gastro's is the brand for the food truck. But someone's like, yeah, but you got to name the vehicle just like you would name a boat. And I was like, uh, okay, cool. Why don't we name it? Priscilla, you know, and that was kind of the natural name for it. And everyone's like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, and the, the, uh, the bus would come out. And then when that truck died and I got a new truck, I was like, yeah, you know what? Priscilla too makes sense. And I even got the Elvis bus painted on the side of the truck this time because I kept going through Elvis bus. They kept breaking. So I was like, you know what? Now I'm just going to get one painted right on here so I can't lose it anymore. And then when it came time to, when we were launching our restaurant, Lisa Marie, um, we were in such a, you know, when they say like, you don't know what you don't know. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know how to open up a restaurant until I was in the middle of opening up a restaurant. (laughs) And like, really when we were, when we were searching for one, it was also like, I I had a a TV show following me around simultaneously. And really all I was looking for was a central kitchen to prep and get ready for all my food truck events and, and business. Like I wasn't looking for a kitchen and a friend, uh, sorry, a restaurant. A friend of mine was like, Hey, I got the perfect kitchen right downtown. He's like, there's one catch. I go, what's the catch? He goes, there's a restaurant attached to it. So I was like, oh, okay, well that's cool. Like um, maybe the, the kitchen was big enough to kind of facilitate two aspects of the business. I could do, you know, food truck and catering prep and also facilitate the restaurant because it was a it was a huge kitchen it was too big actually for just servicing the restaurant so i'd come up with this like little um this concept that was more like you know trendy bar food that had like international flavors and i was like but you know what i can't name it fidel gastro's because to be honest it's not the same brand it's a different vibe altogether and i was like well, you know, it's kind of a product of the two worlds I'm in. Why not just name it Lisa Marie? And I just kind of said the name out loud and everyone was like, beauty, that's the name. And coincidentally, that same year, there was a huge uptick in very um, very feminine named restaurants. So restaurants named after, after women. And I was like, it was never planned. I was like, you know what? And then over the years, we'd actually put the word bar in front of it. So it was bar Lisa Marie um but yeah it was just just wild how things uh how things happen that's that's true great coincidence and awesome how that happened just by buying the bus to add flavor to a party and then bam that becomes the the nuance for everything as you move forward it was the little details you know that was always a throwback to my my days in advertising uh telling telling a story um and having a narrative kind of you know personified through either food or characters or or icons within the space. 
it's just, it's what allows you to be memorable for people. And, um, you know, but none of that matters if your food sucks. So it's kind of like, we need to have both worlds. And I was so lucky that over the seven, eight, now 10, 11 years of my career, my food has only gotten better every single year. So the popularity of our brand has allowed me the moments to improve my quality of food for people. And, and now I feel like, you know, at, at 37, <laughs> at 37, um, you know, th th this is the, the best my food has ever been, um, the most sound the brand has ever been. And the way we approach projects just makes a lot of sense. And it's allowed me to now evolve my skill set in very different ways because my biggest fear was you know, the food industry, specifically like the restaurant and hospitality industry, it can be very much, you know, a, a creature of habit space. And I wanted to ensure that if I was starting something that was proprietary, you know, that was my own, that we never felt like we were just doing the same thing on repeat every day, that it wasn't just um, a carbon copy of the day before, right. you know, so that was a huge thing for me. So once it got to that place, that's when I was like, okay, uh, I'm done with the restaurant because I've, I've checked all my boxes and I'm good now. It's allowed me to kind of pull back a bit uh, and, and approach food as more of a, on a project by project basis. I mean, that's awesome. It's awesome that you have the ability to do that now. Uh, 10 years ago, you probably didn't think this would happen. And now the roller coaster has taken no. you to, the, to new heights. And that showed like a, one of our core values here at Misfit Nation is motivation and you showed earlier in your career as you were in advertising that you were not really motivated there anymore. You, you lost that sense, that oompa to get the aha moment to get up every morning and say, I want to do this. And then you found it when you came into this and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I'd love to see where it is in 10 years from now. Hopefully I'm retired. Uh, no. <laughs> I would love to slow down a bit. This has actually been the, this, you know, the last two months have been the slowest I've ever moved. And when I say the slowest I ever moved, I'm, I'm used to being like 14 to 16 hour days, seven days a week. I'm up and I'm out the door and that's it. I haven't stopped. So I really wanted to, um, I've been using the terminology of being dialed in more. I wanted to use this year because the last couple of years have been very awkward, obviously in our, in our industry. So I wanted to use this time to dial in more and be more present and focused on moments versus being the guy known for doing 14 different things at, at one time. And, <laughs> and, and, and to your point, I am very lucky that I have that opportunity to, to take a step back and approach my career in a different way now. And not everyone in my industry has had, has that same opportunity. So it's, it's never lost on me uh, even for a moment that, that this is kind of my, my job now. <laughs> definitely. And uh, you're definitely right. The last two years, uh, you either made or broke a lot of people in the, the food service industry. A lot of the brick and mortar places could not survive because they couldn't have people on those tables. Butts and seats really is what gets those things going. And I think you lose about $10,000 a month if you don't have those seats filled per seat. And that, that really kills the industry as, long, as well as the employees you have working there. So I think uh, you able to slow down a little bit and reach back and still be productive during these two years was actually really motivational to others that are watching you from afar. Well, you know, that, that means a lot to me. And by no means am I any sort of, um, you know, second coming. I, I was very lucky. I was I'm a very lucky individual. I, I saw where the industry was kind of going pre-COVID. I saw, and I can only speak from a, 
you know, from where I am in, in the city of Toronto, right? Like, and I'm not, not exactly sure where, where you are geographically, but like the city of Toronto is a very expensive city. Um, it's very, you know, it's right up there with the Miamis and the New Yorks and the Chicago's as far as not just for restaurants, but just overall cost of living, cost of operating a small business. So for me, given the kind of food that I'll, I'll never forget the moment I, I knew I was ready to start changing times. It was that my, my tiny little restaurant had now doubled in rent <laughs> and I was selling four piece fried chicken for $28 and a beer for nine bucks. You know wow. what I mean? And I was like, and I was like, and, and Canadian food costs are astronomically higher than American food costs. I was just down in Florida at Costco and I was like, woo, filling up that cart. <laughs> even with, even with the dollar um, exchange, it, it was still you know, drastically cheaper. So I was like, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Florida, filling up the cart, Costco. Um, so I, I remember in that moment, that's when I was like, I think I need to have a bit of a shift in um, how I'm doing business. When when COVID hit, I, I tried to scale back. I mean, I had to scale back because right. I really <laughs> scaled back. Um, but when COVID hit, I really became like a one person operation again. I had, I kept one employee on full time. She helped me organize my thoughts and my process. <laughs> so she did handled all the admin. I handled all the food and like, we just, it was like going, you know, not door to door sales, but like I was, if there was a way to sell food, I figured out a way to do it. I was, I would make a bunch of food and sell it, you know, sliced, smoked meats, vacuum packed in markets. And then I was selling rib dinners that you could come pick up. And then on Sundays I was doing meatballs yeah. and you could come pick up. Right. I was delivering them myself. Like, cause there was, so I really did. Um, and then as season, as the seasons changed, um, things obviously opened up again. So I opened up a couple little, you know, QSRs and, but I was working nonstop. Like for me to say it was the, the hardest two years and by hardest, I mean like the most hours I put into my craft in the last two years than I had in the previous 10 years. That says a lot because I had been working a lot in those 10 years too. <laughs> so now, um, you know, two years later, I was able to, like I said earlier, pull back a bit. Um, and I think it, it just made sense. Like, I, I want to start a family. Right. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to spend, you know, more time with friends and family myself. Um, and I also like, I think the, at my peak, I had 40 employees and that's a lot of personalities to take care of, you yeah. know, and you combine it with, you know, take COVID for example, where, you know, you're stressed out, but then you're wearing all your employees stresses too, because everyone's stressed simultaneously. And that I wore that, quite heavily because I, I care for the most part about uh, if you work for me, you're part of my family, you know, and, and I, and I cared about everyone's lives. So that was super draining as well. And yeah, it was a lot, but uh, 40, 40 employees is the most I've ever had. And wow. they also don't tell you when you're becoming an entrepreneur, like you can have a great idea and a great product, but they don't ever, there's no way to just learn how to manage people. You know, that's something you learn over time. So depending right. on when you work for me, in that 11 year kind of cycle, <laughs> I was either the worst boss you ever had or the best boss. One of the two, because, but, uh, that's Somewhere just in how the spectrum. Works. <laughs> Somewhere definitely in yeah. the spectrum there. Yeah. I, I had no idea how to, how to, how to be a boss, which is very different than owning a company. You know, like right. I did not know how to manage, uh, people 
again, very different than being an entrepreneur. And learning how to deal with human capital is a lot harder than learning with how to deal with monetary capital. And like you said, personalities, 40 people, you can have 40 distinctly different personalities, wants and needs during the day. So with all the lessons you have learned through your journey in the last 10 years, what's a couple of things of advice you would give a, a young entrepreneur or a new entrepreneur getting into the business? Well, my, my grandfather's words to me were always work hard and be smart. And those are two very distinct things. The work hard is the, your energy, the, the work ethic you put into things. But then the be smart part is don't just work for work's sake. Make sure that you are working efficiently to improve tomorrow, you know, and I, I, the biggest accomplishment I could ever have in my own career is that I know I'm better at my job today than I was 10 years ago. And that is, um, goes hand in hand with work hard, be smart. Right. And the other, the other one is, you know, you know, I, I, you have to be a problem solver. You have to be able to look at a scenario and figure out how to, how to fix things on the fly, because when you're the, when you're starting out, there's no one to ask. It's literally, <laughs> you got to figure it out. Or I remember one time I was, I was late for an event. My food truck didn't start. I called my buddy. Who's like a, a makeshift to can it. He's like, I don't know, man, just take a hammer and start banging underneath that thing. And I fucking went underneath that thing and I'm banging away. And, you know, not to say that that was the right thing to do, but the, the moral of the story is um, if you are planning to become entrepreneurial, it is imperative that you understand that being a problem solver is probably your biggest asset. Awesome. That's great advice. Both sets of that advice is great. I used to have to start a car with a hammer way back on, <laughs> early in my career in the army. And he used to have to go under it with a hammer to hit the starter to get it to go. So yeah. I understand that, that pain very much. So you're saying what I did was methodical. It was actually, uh, yeah. it was I was trained. It was a you trained were, thing. Yeah, it was training. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> what's the Amazing. best way, what's the best way for someone to get in contact with you if they want to either just chat with you, have you on their show or get some advice? Well, believe it or not, um, Instagram is the fastest way to get a hold of me. Uh, at Chef Matt Basile, all one word um, on Instagram. It's the same if you go to the, the Chef Matt Basile uh, Facebook page. Um, those two ways are easily the, the, the fastest way to get a hold of me to see what we're up to. Or you could just go to the Chef Matt Basile website, subscribe to our newsletter. And every time we post new content, new recipes or new projects, uh, you're always updated there first and foremost. Awesome. Uh, Matt, thanks for taking some of your time to share us, share your story with us and uh, your trials and tribulations and your 10-year success right now. It's my absolute pleasure to be here today. Thank you uh, for this opportunity and I, I wish you good weather because uh, <laughs> you mediocre here at best. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers, man. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story 
with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are the Fit, 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 fit Nation.